You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 510. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we're here to discuss the Fox Sci-Fi series, Fringe. So, uh, you know, I, I, I know you are busy. You're still working. You're following your daughter's field hockey, uh, or I'm sorry, lacrosse games. Well, both, actually. Well, oh, right, because, uh, yeah, the travel travel field mm-hmm. hockey at this point. But, um, you know, I, we don't talk politics very often, and I don't necessarily want to start now, but I really, because you don't have time, what I learned from one of my Republican friends oh. is that there is, in fact, a second real constitution not that phony one that's been on display at the Smithsonian uh, and that that second, that real, that secret constitution is actually uh-huh. the one that Donald Trump follows. So I, I learned that number one. Okay. Well, that actually explains a lot. Now that you well, that. number two, I learned that the military does not recognize Biden as the commander in chief. And, and all you have to do is watch YouTube videos Right. That show, it's right cere- there, right? Right. Well, so show ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, where, uh, well, the first one is it's uh, the former president getting off a plane and getting a twenty-one gun salute, as is his right as the sitting president, and then another video clip, which clearly is not a twenty-one gun salute because the gunshots come at at you know, intervals. And, and so clearly this proves that Biden's not really the president. So, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. I, I mean, who uh, knew you got, that you got solid proof like that? Who knew that YouTube, that. right. I, I, I mean, I don't understand why the major networks aren't picking up on this stuff, but you well, know, I, I mean, they're part of it, aren't they? Well, are they? You know. I, well, I, I think they are. I mean, okay, they're, all right. they're part of it. Them, the Illuminati, uh, all of it. Okay. So they're all they're all in it together. No, they're not the ones that drink the blood of children. Um, they. I don't know. That's probably be. a different. Well, yeah, there might be crossover, but anyway, um, uh, <laughs> we'll get away from that. Just, and and I, dude, I wish I was kidding, because I'm not. But we'll leave it at that. Um, just a reminder, we typically record usually Monday, once in a while Tuesday. So any feedback's got to be in by Sunday night, Eastern time. Uh, audio feedback right now. You got a six-minute limit for now. Now, some news. I don't know if you ran across this, but the Doctor Who 60th anniversary trailer is out. Yes. And there That's are awesome. – Right, there are titles for the three episodes, and we're not we're not going to throw that out there. I, some people consider episode titles to be spoilers, so if it's something you want to find, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you can find it. Uh, yeah. and, and these are, of course, the three episodes that are going to air later this year, starring David Tennant and Catherine Tate. But yeah, um, um, I'm reasonably so psyched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am very, very psyched. Yeah, so. I, I am really almost. You know, um, giddy, ludicrously, almost giddy. That's a good word. Yes, almost giddy. But I don't even know when they're going to come out. Right? Have they? Even, they haven't even announced. When I don't think they've announced. I, they keep saying yeah. later this year. Uh, they just keep messing with me like that. Yeah, I'm but, guessing. Uh, yeah. If I had to guess, and and when I say if I had to guess, 
my guess is based on the the Doctor Who podcast, Radio Free Scaro, that I that I have mentioned. I listen to regularly, and they they kind of suggest and and, and you know not that they're well, they don't actually, know either. So. Well, right, right, but you know, putting two and two together and past history and all that, they're they're thinking the first one might air sometime in November. But who knows? You know. Anyway. It seems like a long time to wait. Well, it does. But uh, anyway, what are you watching this week? Okay. Uh, so what I am watching, uh, first of all, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I've, I finished Titans. Titans is done. Um, I did my duty watching the last uh, season. I did not necessarily enjoy it very much. You said did your um, duty. I did. <laughs> well, that's what season four was anyway. That's for you, Suzanne. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, season four was kind of a, a pile of, of duty and it was just totally all over the place. And, you know, maybe I, you know, I, 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 I'm just obviously speaking for myself and, and I am not a, I have not read like the Titans, the teen Titans comics or anything like that. And if I had, I bet you, I would appreciate it way more than I did. So I do want to put that out there, but as a, you know, person who has not seen, read the comics, watching it, I was just, like, not enjoying it. But I did I did it. I watched it. It's done. Um, I also, in, like, basically one night, I, I watched all of the last season of Afterlife. Remember Afterlife? You saw some of that, right? I did, yeah. With Ricky Gervais. So they came out with season three, I think it was, maybe four, ages ago. Not ages ago, maybe a couple months ago. Um, and just one night, it was like six episodes or like a half hour long. It was like, boom, I sat down and watched all of it. And that show was, is so good. Uh, just, you know, Ricky Gervais is, I know he's not for everybody, but I think he's hilarious. And the show was like really a great combination of kind of like humor, but also this kind of deep pathos with, you know, obviously he's a, a widower and, and his wife's death kind of looms over him and every relationship he has. And so this guy trying to find, you know, to kind of like make it through the world, you know, despite, uh, you know, like having this terrible tragedy that he's really having a difficult, difficult time getting over. So, I mean, I just was, uh, I really liked it. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for, for this week. I'll, I got other stuff, but I'll, I'll talk about it next week. Okay. My wife and I started watching Dead Ringers on Prime Video, which is a reboot of the 1988 psychological film starring Jeremy Irons. And here I go with Jeremy Irons again. Yeah, this is like two weeks in a row you brought the disturbing Jeremy Irons movie. I know. And this one's also based on the novel Twins. And in this case, it's a gender flip. Uh, Rachel Weisz plays twin gynecologists who set out to revolutionize women's health care as it applies to giving birth. And without giving any plot details away, as you might imagine, I know this will come as a shock, but but they're opposite in, in you know their personalities. And, and the one that's the wild one wears her hair down. And the one that's more reserved generally has her hair tied back and up. But there are some really cool things that happen related to their relationship and they're extremely close you know arguably too close and i'm i don't mean you know for those right. of you that they're you know don't have dirty minds they're not they're not that close um unfortunately but, i am not counting that 
Yeah, so I, but I went but, there. Yeah, you know, but but just you know the 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 inability to separate themselves from each other, even for short periods of time, and 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 but that's part of the I think the appeal of their story is that you know just watching, you know the the two of them. Uh, you know, you know, as they uh, do the same job essentially, but but they both have different goals. You know, not only in life but also professionally. So it's really cool, um, albeit a bit disturbing. But you know, still, I, I certainly can recommend it. Now, the other show, well, I that believe I, the uh, the original movie was David Cronenberg. Movie. It was absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he 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 does disturbing really really well. Yeah, no kidding. And and uh, you know this one certainly pl- pays homage to Cronenberg in, in a couple of. I won't say I had to look away a couple of times, but I wanted to. The other thing I started watching just last night, uh, as I was looking, actually I was really feeling guilty for not watching any genre shows and not having any <laughs> genre shows to talk about on the podcast so uh, i've seen a show on netflix called invisible city for well they're in the second season so it's got to be at least a year it's a brazilian fantasy centered on these mysterious mythological creatures that actually exist meaning the legends are true sounds familiar at all um talking to you lost girl but the story, I mean, but it is different. It, it, it's got a different vibe, a much more serious. I mean, in, in a large extent, it's a crime drama. And it follows an environmental policeman as he searches for answers. I don't even want to say what kind of answers because that would be kind of a spoiler, even though this spoiler is addressed in the first five minutes of the, the series. So I watched the first two episodes. I sat down and watched the first one, and, and I thought, all right, that's good. I I think I'll go on with this at a later date. And then half hour later, I'm like, no, I want to see the second episode. So I think go. it's only seven episodes in season one and five in season two. And they're short. They're like 35, 40 minutes. But yeah, so far, so good. I mean, it's certainly got that lost girl vibe to it. But like I said, it, it's it's a lot darker at this point and and lost girl could get dark for sure certainly in the later seasons for sure Uh but uh you know anyway invisible city on netflix yeah well there was that scene where you know vex had the guy shove his own hand down a uh oh uh, garbage disposal garbage disposal oh i forgot about that yeah nice oh i'll never forget that man so anyway Uh, all right well let's get to fringe Season two, episode 11, Johari Window, which originally aired as episode 12 of season two. And I you know, posted that in the Facebook group last week. Fox now lists it as episode 11 uh, of season two. And, and, you know, like what we mentioned about, uh, I can't remember what the name of the other one was that the uh, unearthed unearthed that Fox apparently lost. And then, ah, what the hell will air it in season two? But, uh, this one's written by Josh Singer, directed by Joe Chappelle, and it aired January 14th, 2010. So uh, we got some cool guest stars. I know Laura Minnell, who plays Rose in this episode from Van Helsing. I forgot she was in Man in the High Castle as well. Um, and then the sheriff, Michael O'Neill, who's one of those guys that, all right, 
I, th- I forget who it was last week that you mentioned that they're in one episode of about a million different shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the deal with Michael O'Neill. Yeah. Although I he, saw that guy. You're just like, oh, I know that guy. I've seen him. And then yeah, like, what did I see him in? Like, yeah, well, it might have been that. 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 He did have a regular role in Extant. So I, I did. Re- I mean, I didn't remember him from that, but it was like once I saw his IMDb page, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to leave it uh, to the feedback section to explain the title of the uh, episode. I was going to do it, but, you know. Alan did it for us. Alan did it for us, so we'll we'll (laughs) let him take that. But the theme of the episode, and, and I mean, we have a Monster of the Week episode, not in the traditional sense, but well, it is the monster is right, ourselves, but, Steve. Right, but I mean, it is kind of, and of course, though there is that tie into the overarching mythology, because as we learn, you know, about midway through the episode, Walter Bishop was in fact uh, associated with this experiment, and you know, while it's difficult to blame Walter for what has happened here and 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 i don't think anybody's set out to blame walter at all you know apparently according to him he worked on it for a brief time right they they did some nice little writing mumbo jumbo to try and not even so so it's not even an issue right like he consulted and it was just for a little bit and all the bad stuff happened after well, he right was there you know but i i guess what we have to say and and again i don't mean to blame walter for anything that that happened but what he saw must have disturbed him enough that he thought it prudent to hide this information along with a box of devil dogs from right. the mid 70s or whatever it was well and, and it this was... is and this is a, a walter bishop not the Walter Bishop we know now, who is beginning to, uh, dare I even say, exude empathy, clearly in this episode, but we don't get the idea that the Walter Bishop that was working on this project, even as a consultant, would have given a rat's ass about what happened to people, you know? Right, yeah, like, I mean, last week we saw kind of Walter with his brain parts restored and you know, didn't really like what we saw. So, um, yeah, you know, the, probably that Walter exactly would not really, uh, very much care. And yeah, I don't, I didn't get the feeling that he got out of this project because he was so opposed to it. I don't know if he really gave us a reason why he just says that he just consulted and he was out before all the terrible stuff happened. Yeah. And I mean, look, as English teachers, when you teach theme, particularly to younger children, you can always grab onto that that classic line. Don't judge a book by its cover. And in a sense, that's what we've got here. You know, see people who for for who they really are, not the way you perceive them. And that that whole idea of perception, like you said, we'll let Alan uh, explain the the title of the episode and his feedback. But. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like for, for some of these people, you know, like, because they do play this idea of, of the perception versus reality. And, you know, like, but some of these people here, what they really are is more monstrous than the, the their actual 
you know, figure that, that you know, that they, uh, when they're outside of the, um, the pulse or whatever. Now, do you mean physically or? No, I mean, just inside, like the guys who go and, and kill three policemen, just that's a drop of a hat, right? You know, on the one hand, I mean, yes. And, and I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm going to say, but is there any way, I don't want to say justify their behavior, but understand their behavior because, you know, we, we certainly consider it okay to protect yourself from danger is that what they're doing or they, I mean, clearly there's got to be another way to do it, right? A more acceptable way, you know, shoot them with knockout darts or something, drag their bodies. Monstrous. The choice they, they decide, right? Those policemen had, were innocent, right? They weren't doing anything wrong. They're just doing their job. In fact, they're helping the kid who looked like he needed help and and they killed for that. Right. And the one officer, you know, when he hears his two buddies say we should call the newspapers, and he's like, he's a kid. No, right. we're not doing that. So so showing that compassion, that empathy for, you know, this kid who, who clearly is the other. And, you know, e- even though we know that that stories about these people have been going on for at least 30 years or, or more, you know, now the other you know, has a face, if you will. And, and it, it's understandable, I guess, on the one hand that the two officers would react that way. Unfortunately, I guess it's understandable, but, but it's also encouraging. But there, it's not, they're not doing anything that would, that they deserve to die from. Well, it, oh, no, know? no, absolutely. No, no, I didn't mean to imply that for sure. Yeah. So, but no, but, I mean, but, but clearly like the show, right. I mean, well, first of all, we see the first guy who, who picks up Teddy I mean, they might as well have scrolling at the bottom. This guy's going to die because he's talking to his wife. He's, and we see the picture of his wife and him and his baby daughter. I think it's a daughter. I can't remember. But any baby. Obviously, just setting up some kind of emotional attachment to this guy. So when his death, we are horrified by his death, more so than if it were someone we didn't really know. Conversely, the other two guys by, you know, making fun of the kid or saying they should call the papers in a way it's almost like, well, those guys kind of deserve it a little bit, you know? Um, but it, all of these is just, I mean, this is what I, 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 there, there were some times where the writing of this show, I didn't think was super great. And I think especially in the early going, they relied on these very facile tropes to, to set up these guys who we knew were, we're going to die and to, to try and make some emotional investment that honestly we really didn't a hundred percent get. And, and then they're forgotten about until the very end of the, the episode anyway. Well, yeah, I, I guess then we get into, and I don't want to, as I know you don't you spend a lot of time talking about justifiable murder, which is kind of an oxymoron, I guess, when you, when you get down to it, I mean, we could say justifiable killing, but you know, what about at the end when Rose kills the sheriff? Now you could argue that, well, she couldn't take the chance that he would kill Olivia, but she didn't really give him a chance 
to throw down well, his gun. It was like, hey, throw down your gun. Boom. She shot him. Yeah. Right. Right. Like she just yeah, she doesn't wait at all. Um, you know, and Walter calls his justice at the end. Right. You know, and I'm like, uh, I mean, okay, yeah. You know, Vigilante I mean, justice. The, the sheriff. But the sheriff's not the one who, you know, it, it was that other dude who uh, shot the, the guy, John, or whatever, the, the cop. But, uh, you know, I mean, you remember, we used to, in, in the part of the ninth grade curriculum, right, there was this, we had, the, the we actually did an essay, like, on whether revenge or justice you know what's is there what's the distinction between the two right um so yeah was it justice like you know that's that's a pretty you know and certainly it's not for necessarily rose to meet out that justice and everything so you know i don't know we you're right we could go deep into this and we probably shouldn't but well, yeah. well and and then you get to the end and you know broils basically takes Walter up on, you know, the suggestion because they're not going to prosecute Rose for killing the sheriff. Now, again, you could certainly make the argument that, well, he was holding a gun on a federal agent and Rose saved that federal agent's life. And there's certainly something to that. So, yeah, we, we, we I think, <laughs> talk that point enough. Right. And, and then, of course, Walter's transformation, like I alluded to a few minutes ago, I just think it's fascinating to wonder about how much empathy he really had in the past, if any at all. I mean, I guess we have to believe he had some because a man with no empathy wouldn't come home after working all week in the city, get up early on a Saturday morning and make his son pancakes in the shape of, I forget what were the animals or something. I forget what. Yes. Yeah. Um, True. So, you know, there's that side of that Walter Bishop that, you know, we really have only heard about. We haven't really experienced it. So so I just think it's fascinating to see now Walter, you know, take a stance. And, and of course, at the end, Peter tells him, I'm really proud of you for doing that. And then Walter's line is just so emotional. I'm glad you choose to see me that way. As if Walter knows that maybe I've done things in my past that I don't deserve to be seen that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and then we have to go back to, well, okay, well, that's good because then that remembers, I mean, that means he remembers some of the things he did in the past, which we haven't necessarily heard about. I mean, you know, okay, fine. He worked on, what was this, Project Elephant? Is that what Project it's called? Project Elephant, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the scene when they first get to uh, Edina and Walter refuses to get out of the car. I'm learning to appreciate cowardice. Right. The lion well, was, had a that point. Was before they, they went to Edina. That, that, oh, right. That was at the, I think that was just back in Boston. You're right. That was at the grocery store. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, he, he didn't want to get out there. So... I can't remember. Did Peter say they just had to go get milk or something? Now I can't even yeah. remember. He's like, well, you know, he's like, well, we're, we're out of milk. Like, right. So you know, whether you they gotta actually, get out because we're out of milk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's as if then, you know, the funk that Walter's in the cure for it is working on a case. 
And once they get to Edina, he, he does get out of the car without coaxing. And, you know, again, once he gets in well, the field. Not only that, when Peter tells him to go home and he gets off the phone and is just like, oh, he told us to go into town, try to find the machine. Yeah. So I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, on the one hand, we've talked about Walter regaining agency. So can you make the case that that's Walter doing what he wants to do? Yeah, definitely. Even though it's really not the practical uh, and safe thing to do at this point. And and again, at this point, Peter, I mean... Did they get run off the road yet? Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, right, right. So they already got That's run off the says, road. Like These guys killed three people. They tried to kill us already. So, no, you should definitely not go back into Edina. Right. I mean, we're, we're wondering whether what level of shape-shifting is going on here. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's not necessarily the disfigurement. It's the changing from normal to hideous, beast to man, man to beast. So right. what's Which really is, going that's, that's Walter's original theory, right? That's what we're on board with, that these people are some kind of like shapeshifters or lycanthropes or whatever like that. So Right. Now, I don't um, know about That's you. probably not the right word. I just said lycanthrope. I'm not sure uh, <laughs> oh, if that's the right word. But anyway, you know, like they're, they're like the, you know, werewolves or something like that. And and that's there. there is no such. They are not shifting. They're not changing at all. It's just people's perception of them changes, right? Yeah, right. I mean, who's to say flying monkeys don't exist just because we haven't seen them? Right. I mean, I mean, um, well, I saw him, but it was in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they were very, very disturbing. I don't know about you. We've talked many times as we've, you know, gone down, you know, memory lane with fringe about the fact that we don't necessarily remember a lot of the details. As soon as Olivia mentions hearing the hum, yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I remember exactly everything that. Yeah, yeah I, I remember this really quickly. I think once they got the kid in the station, I'm like, uh oh. It's like, but yeah, definitely when she mentioned the home, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Now I remember. So, um, at one time it did surprise me, but but this time I completely remembered the whole plot twist there. Yeah. Now, were you surprised? That Peter got away with his comment to Olivia when they're driving in the car and and, and they're kind of talking about how the job that they do impacts, you know, their personal lives. And she's like, yeah, you know, met this guy, went out, went to high school with. And when he found out what I uh, he did, he looked at me and he's like, you mean like chicks with guns? And she kind of looks at him. She, she, she's not mad, but it, it was almost like he says it and then he regrets saying it, but not really. So, you know, but, but you know, the whole thing about though guns and, and, you know, we haven't, you know, we'll get there in a few minutes, you know, that, that scene, she sort of implies, you know, when she's talking to him about, I know it's tough the first time you kill somebody. And 
I'm thinking, why do you think this is the first time he's killed anybody? And I get the sense that in Peter Bishop's travels, because in some ways he was living a far more dangerous life in the Middle East than he is now. And that's not to say he's not living a dangerous life now. So I don't know. I just, you know, given some of the things that, that we've learned that he's done in the past and, and you watch how he handles a gun. So clearly he knows what he's doing, you know, even though he doesn't carry his own. So I don't know. Right. I I think she probably, again, um, you know, the writing of this isn't fabulous. Um, but I, I would think probably the writers would justify her saying that line because Peter seems very shaken by, um, after they find the body. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure if I think that or not, and it's hard to tell. And I mean, yeah, I, like you, I watched this twice for the podcast. And of course we both had seen it like, you know, gosh, what, 13 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. I'd almost have to go back and watch that scene again. But once Walter starts humming that tune, again, it's one of those details that, oh, it's you know, the words mean something. Astrid's going to figure out you know, how to make sense of this because, like Peter, she speaks Walter now. And right. So before we go anywhere with this, though, Dave, I got to tell you okay. that, that I fell down a big rabbit hole with that, the, the song that Walter was singing. Okay. Right. What did you learn? So here's how you go from an episode of Fringe to the funeral of an Irish rugby team manager. Okay. Okay. This should be good. Now you say those two things aren't, are not relatable, Wayne. Bear with me. So you, I hear this song. like, you know what? I, you hear that? I've heard that tune so much. I don't think I know what it is. Did you know what it was? I didn't. No. I, I had no idea, but you hear it like, oh, it's like, it was on the bad news bears. It's been on tons and tons of things. So I, uh, I looked it up and it's the Tory door song. It's an aria in the opera Carmen. Okay. Um, so that is step one. I found out there's the Tory to- Tory song, which is awesome. It's so good. So I went and, and watched a performance on YouTube but the one, the first one I found, the the subtitles weren't even in English, so I didn't understand. Not only did I not understand what they were singing, but I didn't understand the language that was in the subtitles either. So then I did find one that was very, very good. Uh, it had English subtitles. It was awesome. And then, but in searching for a version with English subtitles, I discovered that Rodgers and Hammerstein. And again, I know all of this. I'm sounding very ignorant. I just learned these things today, but I'm I'm just kind of excited about the whole process I went through here. Uh, so I learned that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote a opera, the same used the same the, the music from Carmen, but um, uh, made a English libretto and changed the plot and everything. And they called it Carmen Jones. So then I found 
the song, the Toreador song, quote unquote, from Carmen Jones is actually now called Stand Up and Fight instead of a Toreador describing what it's like to be in the ring. It's a boxer describing what it's like to be in the boxing ring. And then from there, I discovered that this was like, I guess, kind of like a theme song or something for the Munster uh, County of Munster in Ireland, their uh, rugby union team. Um, I think this song is kind of like a song. And also they, there was a video of the team singing it after the death of their manager who died in like 2016. His name was Anthony Foley. Uh, he was a very popular uh, rugby player in Ireland um, and passed away at like the age of 43. So it was obviously a big deal. People were very, very sad. Um, so anyway, so there you go. I went from an episode of Fringe to a funeral for a, a Irish rugby team manager in about uh, five degrees of separation, I think. Okay. Well, my question to you is, how did you miss the metal version? I don't know because I finally, eventually, I had to stop. Eventually, I was I had to go up and get ready for the podcast. Okay, because there is a metal version. I just I just looked it up. Really? Yes. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know the group well, that I does it. I can tell it, you what I'm going to be doing as soon as we're done talking here. There you go. All right, so back to the episode, and and you know they they have loaded the body. Um, I forget the dude. It's Teddy's father, right? As it turns yeah. out, that Peter shot and Joe, right? Right, and they're taking him back to the lab, and and when they un or uh, when Astrid unzips the body bag, which she has to do because Walter's having trouble with the zipper, and 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 I believe this is after she's already commented on how ugly the butterfly is which of course gets walter's attention but then when they she gets the bag unzipped and again i found it interesting of all the things she's seen that she screams as loudly as she does here right 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 yeah and okay fine (laughs) it's not what she was expecting but you know, she's definitely seen worse. Yeah. So anyway, but I found that interesting and, and I, I get that, you know, the, the surprise element. I mean, it's just a couple of episodes ago. They were literally piecing a dude back together from his body parts that got all blown up. You're exactly. So, uh, but and anyway, this makes her scream. Come on now. Yeah. Now, now she makes sense of the song that he's been humming and you know they get back to the library uh, the law library which is a stretch right yeah um, like she just writes down the words um hold on, i actually wrote it down but you know well yeah it's like it okay they spell harkness uh, fine right. you, you you find you know what library to go to now how do you know which floor to go to how do you know which aisle to go to how do you okay whatever um maybe walter gets in there and he remembers all right fine you know we had that that scene in season one where he goes to their beach house and he's looking for something and of course he, he you know when peter finds him there i'm looking for something but i don't know what i'm looking for and i don't all right fine so maybe walter's memory is getting better and he you know takes off the the vent plate and you know of course reveals first the devil dog box i'll get you a fresh box walter and don't those eat things that. are probably still good though yeah well that's a good point yeah <laughs> i think they have a half life of uh yeah 
I guess, you know, we talk about character pairings and it does seem as if Astrid and Walter spend more time together than she spends with anybody else, which is fine. They're, they're great together yeah. because she's, she's certainly gone. I don't want to say at the beginning, she was a you know, glorified babysitter because that really wasn't what she was, but sometimes Peter treated her that way. And I think it didn't take long for her to establish her place on the team. And Peter stopped treating her that way, whether consciously or maybe off camera. She told Peter, don't do that anymore. I'm a professional. I'm part of the team. So, you know, whatever. So I I do really, you know, like that as well. But I mean, you know, you, you, I guess I didn't really consider the writing in this episode until you brought it up and keep mentioning it. And I think you're right. I'm not sure if it's fair to say, well, they had the story to tell and they only had 46 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well, plenty of shows have a story to tell and only have 46 (laughs) minutes and fringe among them. and, And we know they can do it. On the other hand, they've got 22 episodes to fill for the season so it's not like today again as we've said where shows have eight ten maybe 13 episodes so again there is that but but you know the scene where the sheriff's talking to the assembled you know townspeople don't worry they don't know anything and you kind of look at the people as they're listening to him and they're thinking like uh, I think uh, they might know something. Seems like they know something, right? Yeah. So, you know, well, remember that other federal agent? Nobody was asking about him, which then like, okay, wait a minute. A yeah, federal agent came up. to your town, <laughs> disappeared. Yeah, a federal marshal, right? And, and nobody came looking for him? Yeah. Okay. That's hard hard to believe. Right? Yeah. Um, but then when we learn, you know, what the whole point of the experiment was, Okay. Now, <laughs> I think it was Fred that brings up, it's like, all right, it's fringe, so we give it a lot of leeway. All right, I'm not a scientist, though, uh, you know, I play one on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so these sound waves or, you know, electromagnetic pulse or whatever is going to cause people to see me as normal rather than okay yeah all right it's a bit of a stretch yeah even for fringe i just yeah even for fringe right i just feel like they kind of got like halfway through this script and we're just like can we just bring this to a close this is a mess (laughs) just we just, we just need, let's just knock this out and let's move on to the next one just chalk this up as, as a lost job because it's uh, you know I mean, there's just like a lot of and i i know sometimes i can be very nitpicky i try not to be uh but sometimes i can but in this case i don't feel like i'm nitpicky i just feel like it was just you know just too too like again for even for fringe like well i come in the fringe with a pretty a strong amount of of uh, disbelief, right? Or I'm sorry, suspension of disbelief, sure. right? Um, I'm willing to take a lot when it comes to fringe, but this one, I was just like, 
Nah. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Now, you know, a few of the scenes that I liked, and certainly one is when Walter and Astrid are driving you know, back to the town, and he tells her to stop the car. He gets out, and he's holding the butterfly in the jar, and, you know, it still looks deformed. And then you know, as he gets inside the town limits, it transforms, and, and you see the look on her face. And, and, you know, now she's putting two and two together. Walter has his theory, which is, is you know, clearly correct at this point. But – who perfected the technology and oh only edward cobb you know guy and you know hey is your mother home no yeah <laughs> can we come well, in come on in anyway <laughs> strange person yeah um does operation have any hidden significance or just a cool game that i i feel like it was just kind of like a shout out to okay like, Somebody a said fondly remembered part of, of the writer's childhood. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess to a certain extent, you know, this town is born out of the experiment from the seventies and, and operation. Look, I, you have kids, you might know, you know, I mean, operation was big in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. I don't know if it still is and, or was when your kids were growing up. Well, yeah, we got it for our kids because like my wife and I wanted to play it, you know, there you go. <laughs> And the wishbone, which is the what she's working on, that's like the hardest piece to get out of there. Yeah, and she goes for it, and yeah, you know, so I could never get the wishbone. It was right. so hard. Right now, the sheriff's plan, I guess, is fairly simple. Let's kill the agents and uh, be done with it. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a great plan. Yeah. I feel like you killed three cops and you have like the FBI down. You what are you going to do if you kill some FBI agents? Like this, this is what I'm saying. It's just like, uh, well, yeah. again, I guess I like Walter going down in the basement. Yeah, I, I yeah. I, first of all, I, I like him asking to use the bathroom and then winking at Astrid that. I'm not really going to the bathroom. It's like, yeah, yeah I kind of knew that Walter. Um, <laughs> and then he shuts off the generator. And of course, Astrid immediately sees Teddy for the way he really looks. So who's going to take charge of the town now? You know, we get a sense that, I mean, the sheriff says everybody has a job, do yours Rose. But yeah. you get the sense that the sheriff is in charge of the town so yeah. we well, don't I hear Rose is going to have to multitask. Right? Yeah, I think so too. Right. So I, I mean, I, I don't know how much maintenance the hum takes on a daily basis. I, I get a sense that it probably doesn't take all that much and you know, Hey, you got a teenager, he can uh, get out there and help pull his weight and, yeah, right. and go from Roll there. Along. So, you know, but, but what's the future of this town? Do they, you know, restart the generator and go back to, you know, business as usual? Um, I mean, we understand that nobody leaves the town, but apparently they do because that's where all the sightings have come from over the years. Right. So what well, was this that? whole thing started because Teddy was running away. Like if we really think about it, Teddy's brought all this down on both the police officers and the town's head. Because he wants to get out. Well, right. But I, I guess 
I wonder about prior Teddies, because who were the people that left the town limits and were then seen for the way they really looked? Now, right. did they get out there and think, oh, no, I'm going home and, and turn around? Or, I mean, clearly they didn't go out and stay in the real world. They, right. Something made them return to Adina. Don't know what it was. Maybe it was just, you know, let's get out there and see what's what. Maybe somebody chased them. I mean, clearly somebody saw them because the right. the drawings that we saw were pretty representational for things that we saw among sure. you know the citizens. So, um, and then that great scene at the end with with Walter and Broyles, and and this is not the first time. I think Broyles has done it at least once or twice with olivia you're not hearing me right if you know if if you didn't find the machine there's nothing to report and walter's like oh okay i wasn't like 100 percent sure how that works because they were in the middle of an fbi investigation they just go home and say "Eh, didn't find anything you know yeah well, like, I guess uh, they can. Three, three police officers were killed. Um, we don't know why. And just like, like really? Like, uh, I feel like that's going to still be pretty big news for yeah, one. Yeah, but, but they'll come up with a story. We just didn't get to hear what that story is. So, look, I, it's the FBI. They can come well, up with something, I'm sure. Yeah. Again, I mean, I just like. Did the like Durham the report say that today? Great. The what? The Durham report. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Politics again. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, um, what else about this one? Well, so you had mentioned, and, and on the, the second time I watched this, what I was really trying to figure out, because as I'm watching, I'm like, wait, wh- why does Teddy exist? Like, he's obviously too young to have been alive when the initial um, you know, experiment took place. So is this something that can be genetically passed down? And they don't really address it specifically. The Walter does say when, when, once he realizes what the situation is with the diner, he's like, well, this is the, the people, the victims of that experiment or the children of this victim. So, so yeah, I guess the, the pulse affected them beyond just a, physical level like if, if you know like it actually changed their dna right that they can pass it on to their children which again fred you can answer this one i feel like that's a bit of a jump and then so so that and again i didn't know how i felt this because like watching the second time you know rose was talking about how her father came back and created this machine that allowed them to live a normal life so long as they just stayed in a diner. And so I'm like, okay, well, I guess, you know, part of a normal life is getting married and having kids and everything. But then, you know, by having a, a child, you're bringing someone else, you're, you're bringing the suffering down on someone else, you know? Right. Sure. Like, I didn't know how I really felt about that, you know, like, uh, 
I, you know, like I, I have a friend whose uh, whose wife is diabetic, and you know they adopted a kid because you know they didn't want to have a biological child because she didn't want to, to have a kid that would have to go through what what she went through, you know. Um, so again, I know I'm sounding judgy, and I don't mean to be, but just like that, that was something I thought of. Um, as I'm watching this, like the, you know, the people actually having kids and bringing children and bring enforcing this life. And for Teddy, that means a life where you can't leave. And he clearly wants to leave, you know, even at the end, after everything that's happened, what's the last shot we see of Teddy, right? He's standing by the sign at the outskirts of Edina, looking like he's ready to go again. Um, you know, this is a kid who desperately wants to get out and wants to leave this small town, but he can't. That, that's not fair for him, you know? No, like, no, he had no. no choice in this matter. Not that the other people did either. I, I get that, but, you know, I don't know. No, no that's a good point. So, you know, I, uh, I don't know if I can feel this. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll leave the uh, stellar writing behind. And head into listener feedback. Suzanne in Germany checks in this week again. Dear Dave and Wayne, all the cooking talk last time made me so hungry. I had my breakfast earlier than usual. And guess what else? I changed my lunch plans from soup to pasta. I really can't start making lasagna at the office, but cooking pasta I can do, and I did. Anyway, I feel like I can't leave the feedback section all to the gentlemen, so here are some thoughts I wanted to tell you. Might be a bit all over the place, so please bear with me. First of all, thank you for answering my burning questions from my last message. Much appreciated. I used the time of your break wisely and again listened to three of your older episodes, namely Two Take Fives and your discussion on AI. Was that the one we did with Michael? The AI? Mm, no, I can't maybe. remember. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, the first take five on viewing habits was interesting and funny at the same time with Dave talking about his vampire blood and uh, from the second one on source material, binge watching and theater going. I learned why Dave doesn't enjoy watching movies in theaters. I definitely agree. I'm as annoyed as you by those uh, distractions you mentioned, but it's still good to watch the big movies in theaters. I think, by the way, the reason the title of that take five caught my eye was actually because I had just read about Netflix adaptation of the sci-fi trilogy Three-Body Problem, which will apparently be released still this year. I'm very excited for this one. I love the first book, but haven't gotten around to read the other two. I've mentioned on the podcast before, I read the first one. I don't know what the hell it was about, and I probably <laughs> need to read it again. Um now, in that take five, Dave also mentions a sci-fi show called Charlie Jade. Have you, meanwhile, watched it? If yes, please don't say it's crap because I've already purchased the DVDs. Thanks, in any case, for making me aware of it. I hadn't heard of it before, and it sounds quite compelling. No, definitely not crap. I think I liked it better than Wayne, but, but I think you've acknowledged that uh, you never know. Maybe get back to it. Maybe not on the podcast, but... Um, I mean, it's it certainly got an interesting concept and, and, and I enjoyed it. I, I certainly like, you know, the fact that it's, it's, you know, another culture, uh, obviously, uh, an English speaking culture. So it's not that different from ours, but right. uh, definitely not crap. Um, I also really enjoyed your first, philosoph- that being said, I, I thought the first episode was crap, but 
it was just the first episode. Okay. And I do admit that freely. I, I didn't necessarily like it that much, but um, I am not in the position to judge. Okay. Really. I also really enjoyed your philosophical discussion about AI in episode 257. You totally spoil some of those shows you discussed there, but I was aware and didn't mind. So you see, I did my own little sci-fi TV rewatch rewind, and it was worth <laughs> the digging. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I'm currently watching a lot of Apple TV Plus shows because, you know, I've been so mad at Netflix for not renewing 1899. I canceled it in February uh, for the time being anyway. I hadn't checked out Apple TV Plus before, but oh, wow, so much good stuff. Severance was awesome. I'm absolutely loving the new sci-fi show, Silo. Oh, and I'm midway through the first season of For All Mankind, which I like as well so far. Hey, uh, Suzanne, you got to watch Ted Lasso. That is, I mean, Severance is awesome, but Ted Lasso is great. It's it's so, so good. So anyway, I agree. Apple TV Plus is awesome. Greatest bargain in uh, streaming television, hands down, without a doubt. Um, Wayne, you have to watch Succession at some point. I am jealous of anyone who can watch the final season right now. I can't, unfortunately. It's too expensive to get access to it here, but I will. What a great show. Makes you see your siblings in a whole new light and appreciate that they are decent people. And I have a feeling that you, Wayne, would like their creative way of swearing and insulting each other. Well, now they're swearing and insulting. I, I have to watch it, though. Well, plus, HBO really, really wants me to watch Succession. Like, every time I open up the Max app, that's, like, the first thing there. So, anyway, um, in terms of Fringe, I'm very happy to see all the A grades. I'll never get over how underrated Fringe is. I've been trying forever to convince people to watch the show, but nope, no sci-fi fans around here besides my brother to a certain extent. At least I have, meanwhile, managed to make him, after years of pestering, watch Dark. Of course he loved it. Should listen to his sister more often. My next challenge will now indeed be to get him to watch Fringe. Wish me luck. You know, if you get him to watch Dark, he's going to love it, obviously. And then, you know, that will give you extra cred for getting him to watch Fringe. So I think I think you're, you're on the right track here. Um, lastly, I want to thank Alan for his recommendations of the movies Repeat and Antimatter. I'll watch them. Thanks. Both sound promising. And I liked Alan's explanation on British accents. Interesting. Uh, there will come a point we have to choose from all the feedback, guys. Um, I don't know. We don't, yeah. you know, we're still, you know, I think we're getting just the right amount right now. Uh, thanks for reading, as always, and for your work, of course. Until next time, Suzanne. All right. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and listen to Alan and Fred, and then we'll come back and just a couple comments about each one. Hello, everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch Podcast. Uh, it's Alan from England here with feedback around uh, last week's podcast and the Fringe episode, Johari Window. It's really great to hear the, all the uh, literary references. I usually get them when pointed out, but I don't always uh, spot them myself. And that's the benefit of having some well-educated podcasters, of course. As soon as Wayne mentioned the name Paris as a classical reference, I did remember that name from the Trojan Wars. Although, really, Walter should be Paris for reasons we can't say too much about yet. Anyway, I'm going to try and think about references whenever a famous name is used for a character in the future. Not watching too much this week besides Fringe, as I've been teaching people at uh, strange hours of day and night, as those people in the States and Australia, and of course, I'm in England. So, 
To fringe Johari window. As usual, I've investigated the title. Did you know that Johari window is a framework for understanding a conscious and unconscious bias and for increasing awareness of self and of others? Named after two psychologists, Joseph Luft, Joe, and Harrington Ingham. Harry ends, Joe Harry. So there are things known and unknown about yourself. And then there are things known and unknown about others. So in this episode, we have things Walter doesn't remember and then does about himself and the experiments of the past. And things unknown or unperceived and then known or perceived about the people living in the town. This concept is actually on one of the courses I sometimes teach, but of course, at this moment, I forget which one it is. I do like the mystery at the start with the apparent transformation of Teddy. In fact, this mystery takes about half the episode before he really gets explained. Walter's reference movies seems to show him blurring reality and fantasy. With The Cowardly Lion, his reference is uh, deliberate. But with the banjo player from Deliverance, it probably not. Great recovery line, though. Probably not the same boy. He also tries to explain that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence with Bigfoot and the Yeti, etc. Later, when Walter mentions seeing a therianthrope when studying London, I was sure that was going to be a reference to an American werewolf in London. As they enter Edina, we see the sign showing the population of 1,943. And I often wonder how often somebody has to keep updating the information on such signs. But in uh, Edina, it transpires not very often. As is often the case, Walter's flight, or in this case, Song of Whimsy, turns out to be relevant. Although, as it's a clue about the Harkness Library, it wouldn't mean much to us at first anyway. Not unless it was a clue about Jack Harkness of Torchwood, of course. Initially, that sheriff turns out to be the most open, welcoming and friendly kind of sheriff we ever see, quite in contrast to their usual uh, portrayal in small towns. But he also has known and unknown facets. When Olivia tries to comfort Peter, telling him about killing for the first time, even in self-defence and how hard it is, I was sure from the look of his face he was going to say it wasn't actually his first time, but that remained unsaid or untrue. That butterfly leads us uh, somewhat down a sidetrack as it seems to emphasise uh, things transforming and changing, you know, from caterpillars to butterflies, etc. But then that isn't really what's happening. All is revealed later by seeing it from both inside and outside of the borders of Edina. That quote about sufficiently advanced technology indistinguishable from magic is from uh, Arthur C. Clarke of 2001 fame. After all the action, it's great how Broyles gives Walter a kind of get-out, uh, a hint about how no one needs to investigate further if he didn't find the machine. It takes Walter quite a while to get this, but great non-verbal acting from John Noble conveying his uh, slow but eventual understanding just through facial expressions. Then, Walter's comment to Peter about I'm glad you choose to see me the way you do takes us right back to the concept of the Johari window again. 
I'm starting to get a glimpse of why this rewatch is so rewarding. You see more every time, especially when you're trying to uh, find or notice or explain things to someone else, just like when teaching my courses. Another great episode. Take care. Alan from England. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe Season 2, Episode 11. Today is a special day. It's shiny. And that's a new thing because we had a very bad beginning of spring here in the Netherlands. So blue skies and getting to 20 degrees Celsius, which is 68 degrees Fahrenheit. It's Mother's Day and it's the birthday of my youngest son who is becoming 20 this year. So no teenager anymore in the house. What am I watching? Well, Picard is finished and season 3 of The Mandalorian is finished. Still watching on slowly with Sleepy Hollow. And in my quest for Rachel Scars and stuff, I started to watch Imposters, a 2017-2018 two-season series. With Inbar Levy as a lead, Dave, you know her as Maria from Lucifer. I'm at episode 5 and it's an intriguing, funny story. Who is also in it and has a very strong role is Uma Thurman. And of course I know her from the epic genetic film Gattaca out of 1997. Coming back to last week's podcast, I think we talked a lot about grading systems. But I think you have a real problem with an inflation of your grading system because if you give a C or a D, you get the parents of a student on your doorstep. In the meanwhile, I feel like we have a system from 1 till 10, that a 10 is an A+, plus and an A is a 9, and an A- minus is an 8, and a B- plus is a 7, and a B is a 6, and a B- minus is a 5, which is insufficient. And I think you can flush everything below B minus down the drain. But I have to be honest, I do recognize this a little bit from our master in medicine, not in our bachelor, because in our bachelor, while the average has below a seven, sometimes of course students have more. We only have on 400 students, I would say four or something like that, that have a cum laude, and then you have an 8.25 on average. But most students have somewhat below seven as an average in the master though there are a lot of sevens eights nines given and i possibly never told you that but i'm the chairman of the examination board of our medical faculty and we urge the examiners to grade lower it's even known under students that when you get a six which is still just sufficient you actually have an insufficient. well that cannot happen, especially not in the medical studies. So now you know where my strictness comes from. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, Alan, who is, of course, in England, uh, I knew I recognized the quote uh, about sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable, indistinguishable from magic. But thank you for the Arthur C. Clarke attribution. Probably mentioned it once or twice, but Wayne and I collaborated on a series of podcasts about 
Clark's novel, Childhood's End, which I think is still available on Golden Spiral Media. We don't have it on our website, but I can probably put a link to it. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's difficult to... Wait, that's for Golden Spiral? I haven't yeah. seen a dime from that, man. <laughs> I'm you know, writing... I'm writing, uh, what's his name, Daryl right now. Okay. <laughs> he owes me royalties. There you go. I mean, when you have a, a, a novel uh, as great as Childhood's End, it's almost impossible for a TV series, and this was just a three-episode miniseries, to, to live up to you know, you know what you hope. I but thought it was pretty good, though. I right? did, too. I thought it was pretty I, good. I hadn't well. read the novel, though, but I thought the, the, the miniseries was pretty good. Right. Um, anything else about Alan's feedback? Um, well, thank you for explaining Johari to me. I had zero idea. I, as Dave said, I actually intended to look it up, but then Alan, you did the work for me. So, uh, you, you, we didn't have to, um, especially the idea about the known and unknown. I mean, that really plays out well, as, as he said in, in his thing, uh, the deliverance reference was, was great. That was very funny. Um, I think that actually by mentioning how he was, I think you know for, for, uh, Walter actually did kind of backhandedly did reference American Werewolf in London there by just mentioning London and everything. So um, I, I liked how you worked Captain Jack Harkness in there from uh, from Torchwood. Uh, there, Suzanne, there is a show to watch. Torchwood is absolutely awesome. But uh, you're gonna if you haven't watched Doctor Who yet, it's gonna get you into Doctor Who too. So uh, yeah, that's it. Which Thank you, Alan, once again. Which begs the question why we've never covered Torchwood. But that, anyway. you know what? That's an excellent question, Dave. Yeah. So that might be, we might have to do Torchwood next. I love Torchwood. Yeah. That, that yeah. Definitely. I might just rewatch it anyway. So, you know, okay. might as well talk about it while we're doing it. All right. Now, Fred's feedback, what I have to address is the show he's currently watching, Imposters. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the podcast or not, but I absolutely loved Imposters. Uh, Fred brings up Inbar Lavi, who I know also from Lucifer. Uh, she plays Eve in in later seasons of Lucifer, and she's just wonderful in that. But um, it, it's just a great series. I mean, it, it's it's described as a dark comedy, and it's cool. certainly dark. I mean, it does have its its you know funny moments, but. He, I don't know that it, I'd call it a comedy, but anyway, it's a great series. I'm not even sure. Oh, it's on Netflix still. So, Fred, oh, gl- so glad you're watching that. Uh, hey, you know, Dave, you know what you call um, spaghetti that's not real? I don't. Impasta. Nice. I'll have to write that down. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, what else about Fred? Well, uh, Fred, thank you for um, doing the conversion of Celsius to Fahrenheit. I am a typical American, and that I have no concept. Sounded uh, cold to me. Yeah, uh, no, well, twenty-eight degrees warmish, or whatever right? it was. Yeah, well, he said like it was like sixty degrees or like whatever something. When you, you say twenty degrees Celsius, that sounds very cold. But then he says sixty degrees Fahrenheit. I'm like, oh, that's quite nice. Uh, but but yeah, like like uh, most Americans have, I have zero clue about that. 
Also, hey, it sounds like you're, I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but it sounds like your sons are about the same age as mine. My oldest is uh, 22, and my uh, second child, Brendan, is 20 years old. So um, congratulations on having a 20-year-old. Uh, from my experience, they're still kind of a pain in the ass at that point, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Uma Thurman, and uh, you mentioned Gattaca, which is a great movie. I love Gattaca. That's really good, despite um, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, <laughs> who normally is like a death sentence for a movie. Uh, but actually, not recently. Maybe that's not so much true anymore. Used to be. But Gattaca is great. Um, but if you are a fan of Uma Thurman, I have to recommend the Kill Bill movies by Quentin Tarantino. Those are awesome. So, um, and you know, the, the, the great inflation, listen, that is real. Like Dave and I both talked about it. it it's just like, it's a, an unfortunate part of, uh, you know, I don't know if it is the same in other parts of the world, but, um, certainly in America, uh, and, and especially the school that we worked at, um, you know, it is uh, just ridiculous. So yep. um, let's leave it at that. It and, is what uh, it is. It is what it is, right? So it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. So, all right. Well, Fred, Alan, Suzanne, thank you guys so much. Uh, you know, it's really great having so much feedback. And yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. I awesome. haven't had this much since the Lost Girl days. Um, um, I would ordinarily say I'm afraid to ask you what your grade is, but. Uh, you know, I don't want to go B minus. I'm certainly not going above a B for sure. Why not? Are you afraid my parents are going to call you? And- well, good point. Well, JJ <laughs> Abrams might, his mother might call me. <laughs> or JJ Abrams' mom. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go ahead and go with a B. I, 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 there were some redeeming qualities for me that, that made up for the sketchy writing, but you know, it, the fact that it did bring Walter and his past, you know, in, into the forefront. So, you know, we get a little bit of that. We, we see Walter continuing on his journey, but there were also a lot of, uh, a lot of gaffes as well. So yeah. anyway, um, but- you know, I was, I was definitely thinking like C plus on this, but you, you are right there. It is not all. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked it, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it. Like for the most part, I, I liked it though. There were times like the writing was made me cringe, um, but I, I can't go above a B minus on this one. So. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I was close to you know going down uh, as well on, on that for a grade, but that's what she said. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as I came out of my. <laughs> Uh, I, I missed one earlier and I just, I had to jump on that one. Yep, so anyway, yep. all, so. Right. <laughs> all right, well, we will leave it there. Um, thank you guys for joining us. That'll do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Uh, encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you haven't already, let us know what you're watching in your genre TV world. Sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode 12 of season two of the Fox series Fringe. But until then. So uh, it, it, by effort to like refine the mission statement of this podcast, Dave, I figure, you know, if we have like maybe a stronger, like forceful message and with our messaging and, and marketing and, 
and Instagramming and stuff. I think we can really blow this thing up. But so anyway, so here's my my latest um, like kind of mission statement slash motto for the show. Okay. All right, hit me with right? it. All right, here we go. They don't know anything. Us or the audience? What do you think? Or well, us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the audience knows plenty. That's what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. 